Oh, hello, I didn't see you there. If you've accidentally downloaded this, this is the 16th instalment of Witch Car Weekly, the podcast that looks at all of the things we didn't have time or the resources to look at through the Motoring Week and bringing them to you from some of the greatest motoring minds at Bauer Media. One of those is me, <laughs> believe it or not, Daniel Gardner. Um, and I am a senior journalist at Witch Car, and it's very, very uh, pleasant to be joined today by another senior witch card journalist, Tony O'Kane. How's it going? It's bloody lovely. All the better for having you with us, sir. Welcome, well, no, Tony. Oh, thank we, you for having me. We, I wanted to get Tony in because he's been gallivanting off around the world driving something from the Jaguar Land Rover stable. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Before that, welcome to uh, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine, Scott Newman. Hello. A very familiar voice at Witch Car Weekly. So, without further ado, gentlemen, let's get stuck into this. We've got uh, we've got some great topics to talk about this week. Uh, kicking off, firstly, oh, should I do my little rundown? I like my little rundown. Let's yeah, do, do that. Rundown. Okay, all right. On Witch Car Weekly, episode sixteen, small hatches go premium. We survey the scourge uh, segment saturation, and Tony tames Jaguar's new F Pace flagship. Oh, awesome alliteration! I'm excited. Do you like that? Mm. If in doubt, just rate. Yeah. No, that's not the expression, is it? What is it? What's the expression? Power if out. in doubt, power out. Oh no, there's something which rhymes with literate. So well, I've kind of ruined <laughs> that. I've, I know. I'm going to just move on. I'm going to move yeah, on and talk about yes. small segment cars mm. and how premium they are. Now, Scott, you want to talk about this because of the recent introduction of the millionth generation Mazda three. Yeah. So last week or earlier this week, I can't remember. Recently, I was driving the new Mazda three. Very important car. Australia's best-selling private car i think so if you take out all the fleet sales and yeah. that sort of thing i believe that's correct it is the best-selling car for people who actually go out and buy cars with their own money so a very important car so i thought oh, i should get some wheel time behind this um but as i was driving it along i think there's been an interesting shift in the small car segment they have all sort of gone up market so it started with the toyota corolla like the toyota corolla is a stalwart and you buy one because it's practical and economical and reliable and all that sort of things but they've made it look really snazzy and, you know, made it a bit pricier and all that sort of thing. And then the Master 3 has followed that trend. It's come out and it's sort of... It's come out? No, not Is like that one? Oh, is that... That's quite an important update for the Master 3. No. Nothing wrong with that. I Nothing th- wrong I'm, with that at all. We now have a GLBTI we should, we should celebrate Master 3. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should celebrate. I just don't think it's factually it's accurate. Thoroughly. Oh, okay. Anyway. You've, I've lost my train of thought. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it is... It's, it's it, been revealed... And it's got this stylish new, you know, fashionable look, and it's a very premium interior, and the prices have all gone up. Lots yeah. of tech in it, and that's all fine. That's great. But is that what actually what actually what small hatch buyers want? And I sort of throw the floor right. the question out to you guys. Maybe it is. Maybe that's how the market shifted, or maybe well, it's a gamble. You, you say it like it's a bad thing. I mean, I think uh, it just having... seems like a gamble for such a big selling car to change the uh, change the formula. But if it's not that much more expensive than the old model, yet it's a lot more premium, that's that's a win for the consumer, right? How think. much are we talking though? That's the key thing here. Tony, help me out here. It's like I think <laughs> I think on average, just sort of like three to five. Is it? Th- it's about three grand. I think it can be. Yeah, it? it seems about right. And it's just and I mean, you talk to executives about this segment, and all of them say how price sensitive mm, it is. Exactly. They're fighting over yeah. two hundred dollars, five hundred dollars. Mm. So that's why I think that to change. By percentage, that's called a bit of eight to ten yeah. percent. 
it's a big shift in someone's hip pocket to, you know. The interesting thing, though, is, and, and going back to the example of the Toyota Corolla, is that that model, the entry price rose by about three grand as well because they deleted the previous ascent entry point which was kind of a stripper spec thing, mm. pretty miserable, but it sold to fleets, you know, rental car market. Mm. And they, they love that thing because it was cheap. But the people who are actually, as you say, private buyers spending their own money, they're not buying that. They're, they're buying at the top end. So they're already paying that premium and they're quite happy with it, uh, happy to do so. So for them to then receive a higher quality product with, you know, uh, better build quality, better design, um, for a price which is probably pretty similar to what they were already paying for the previous generation, I think is a step in the right direction. I just, I'm still chuckling at Tony's description of the base level crawl. This miserable, miserable, <laughs> such a brilliant description. <laughs> it was black so car. sad. <laughs> well, it was. I'm it's sure you've driven one. But okay, so I, I see what you're saying is that they're just they're kind of doing the the job for the customer to an, to an extent because. What they do is they look at the entry, they look at the entry level price and go, oh, that's quite attractive, and then they end up not buying that. They, they spend a bit more and buy something that's less miserable. <laughs> um, but I would say that's perhaps not a great move because that sub twenty grand car that opens any small car range, there's still a few out there, mm. is a really important thing for getting people into showrooms. Mm. No one buys them apart from fleets, as you quite rightly say, Tony. But it's a really important tool for getting people to actually get off their their couch and go into the showroom if that's not there then maybe maybe people are put off by what is now a much higher entry level price yeah i think that's what, like i'm not saying it's a bad thing you know to tony's point i'm not saying it's a bad thing at all they're getting a great car more premium car but it just seems like a very big risk from two of the biggest players in the mm. game to take their volume selling small car and sort of roll the dice with it a little bit i mean the corolla is a good example in that they've made it look quite polarizing they've made it certainly much more design led mm. and they've given it a much smaller boot and i can see yeah that people who are traditionally being corolla buyers and it's it's great to drive now it's a better car per se but those like you say those people who are coming in maybe going oh i should buy a new corolla it's time to update and they get a car that's looks a bit funky is more expensive and isn't quite as practical as the model before mm. Will it scare off? It just seemed, yeah, it seemed a bit of a roll of dice, roll of the dice in such an important segment. Well, yeah, you might have a point there because I, I guess to use Hyundai as an example, they when they launched the current generation i30, that was a really big step up in terms of uh, value, uh, well, not not so much value, but um, the amount of equipment that you got for your money and the presentation was greatly improved over the the pretty ordinary uh, predecessor, but not miserable. Not not miserable. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, sort of honest and, yeah, I guess you could call it that. Uh, Just a bit morose. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit morose, yeah. Uh, Mildly depressing. Okay. However, the sales of the current model are not at the same level as the cheaper but more honest uh, predecessor. So perhaps, perhaps we need to look... There's a cautionary tale there. ...broader globally. The Mazda 3 is a very, very hot-selling car in Australia, but it's mm. not in other parts of the world. No. Perhaps... We are saying this is too big a risk for Mazda to take because we're only looking at the Australian perspective. Yep. On a global scale, this this is the car that is perhaps very low risk for mm. them. That you know, in Australia is an isolated case. Perhaps it's just them testing the water. Mm. I but I don't know. For me, it's working because, as I said to you before we started recording, Scotty, I actually slowed down and rubbernecked a, a Mazda showroom on the weekend because no, it's not the weekend, is it? It was a weekday. But anyway, it was a day that I was out driving. Mm. God, that sounds really sensational, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, because the Mazda 3 was out the front. I've never seen a Mazda that looks It is. I mean, the Corolla as well. Like, oh, they're yeah. both quite striking-looking yeah. cars yeah. now. And the same um, thing's happened. Uh, the Camry is another good example. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Is that 
the Camry, I think, is probably the best example of or best car to ask the question of. Mm. People who drive cam- buying a Camry is effectively your way of saying you've given up on life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you it just was. kind of kind of used to be. Was yeah. I'm it, not sure I agree but, with that. These okay, days. so so if that if, it, if we're talking past tense, mm. then what what car are people buying who don't really give a shit about cars? Because the Camry was always the car they bought. Well, if think... now that's a bit sexy and a bit sporty and it's good to drive, well, better to drive, let's calm down, Dan. Um, what car are they buying? What is the car for people who really don't care about cars? Well, it's a fault choice. Mm. I think that um, this move by Toyota and Mazda has opened up a real opportunity for the Korean players, Kia and Hyundai. I mean, not to say that they're not great cars. They're very, very good cars. But, for instance, the new Serato comes out and you mm. go... Dependable, seven-year warranty, practical, sort of ticks the boxes, doesn't necessarily get the juices fizzing. Oh, um, you always have to make some reference to juice, don't I you, do, Scott? Yeah. I, Every I love week. juice. This podcast is juice now MA15+. Fizzing juice, though, really? Yeah. It's juice. To, it's starting to ferment slightly. That no. juice that you're drinking, I'd throw it out. It's been in the fridge too long. No, no, I would no, see no, no. a physician. That is not... A phys? <laughs> a physician. <laughs> really, all the puns and everything. Oh, yes. Well, yeah, I think it opens up an opportunity for those... Um, yeah, the Kias and Hyundais that are like the the i30, the Serato, they are offering dependable, reliable, good warranties. Um, mm. You probably, if you just want a car, a car to move you from point A to point B, you know, you're not really worried about the flash or the style. Then I think that might be a opportunity for them. Even so, and I never thought I'd be saying this, but have you seen the new Serato? It actually looks pretty smart. Yeah. Um, Tony, you just did a recent, uh, very good segment for Which Car, the TV series. Yes. On, if you haven't caught it, on Channel 10 on Sunday afternoons. It's on Catch Up TV too. Uh, what was that particular uh, variant of the Serato that you So that was at? the Serato GT. That's a new variant. That's yeah. a good car. Yeah, it's good a decent car. thing. It's got a, a chassis that's actually tuned for people who like to drive. It is a little bit firm around town, I will admit, uh, but if you want something that sort of gets your juices fizzing, so to speak. Oh, God, can we just stop? (laughs) The precedent's been set. We can't stop. (laughs) We'll fizz away. Um, But, yeah, the Serato GT is actually a a surprisingly engaging car to drive, and it's got a 1.6 turbo. It's a a decent rig. I I never thought I would say that about a Serato because, to me, that was kind of the I've-given-up-on-life kind of choice of vehicle. The reason I sort of mentioned it was... Uh, I've got an example here. Remember when the new Astra came out mm. and mm. better car, European source, blah, 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 blah. But it was quite expensive compared to what had gone before yeah. and no one bought it. And then <laughs> there you go. quickly after, they had to do massive discounting on it. Yep. A, That's so right. not make any money, money right. and yeah. B, you lose, you know, you kill secondhand values, you kill sort of the premium allure of it. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to happen with the Corolla and Mazda 3 at all. Uh, there are more problems probably with that, the Astra, than just the car itself, because it was quite a good car. But I just so think it shows the risks inherent with rocking the boat, maybe. Yeah. And, and thinking buyers want something a bit more premium, whereas actually they just want a dependable car in it. There we go. So more and more manufacturers, it seems, are dropping a effervescent tablet in the otherwise flat glass of water that was the small hatch segment and making everything a little bit more fizzy. I like how you steered the uh, the whole fizzing analogy towards a beverage a carbonation kind of, uh, direction rather Thank than you. Thank bodily. you. I just thought we should drag that one out of the gutter before moving on. Speaking <laughs> of which, we are going to move on. A little bit later, we're going to talk to Tony about his overseas trip to drive some Jaguars, which marks the start of a, a, a change in their direction from their variant lineup. But we'll, I'll let Tony explain that a little bit later. Before that, I want to talk about something else we're going to focus on. We've just been talking about a segment and how it's morphing and evolving and changing and perhaps doing something that it wasn't previously. I'm going to say on the subject of s- segments, 
and cross-analyze a slightly different evolution that we've been seeing happening over many years now. And that it's a term that I've what we like to coin as segment saturation. So previously, many years ago, you'd have a, a brand that would perhaps offer a sedan in perhaps one or two sizes, two or three sizes. They'd have a coupe, and that might be it. That mm. might be all they offer. These days, however, it couldn't be more different. We have all manner of size coupes, convertibles, SUVs, hatchback sedans. Uh, most manufacturers have, have a huge diverse range and it's only getting bigger. At what point does that range get too saturated by variants and people just walk into showrooms and are uh, perplexed by choice? The reason I want to talk about this, the car that has, has kicked off this minor sort of borderline rant of mine or perhaps... Uh, re-energized it because i've been complaining about this stuff for years is it seems like porsche is going to make a two-door version of its panamera which to me sounds a bit stupid well it's kind of like a 928 yeah especially a 928 i mean i take your point i mean that sort of almost makes sense in that they're re-energized you know they're reviving the 928 whether they call it that or not i don't know but but i do take your point i mean the other the one maybe that proves it is the kn coupe yeah 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 is you know who buys these cars who looks at a kn and goes no it's not quite what i want i want something with a bit less bit less you know space and a bit less practicality i don't think porsche is the main offender here because because making a coupe version of what is already a very sporty car makes sense yeah um perhaps making a coupe version of an suv seems a bit stupid but at least it's porsche we're talking about they're a purveyor of sports cars and high performance vehicles them that company doing something a little bit sort of impractical for the sake of driving and elegance makes sense. What doesn't make sense is a brand which I think is possibly the worst offender when it comes to this segment saturation. Drum roll. Uh, Mini. Mini and BMW. Both probably as bad as one mm. another. BMW invented the coupe SUV with the X6 pretty much. You can, that's, yes. a, that's a, you know, you can argue that. But really, the first mainstream version. Um, and then since then, we've seen a prolifer- proliferation of ex- uh, cars with coupes, coupe roof lines. Mini, however, since the introduction years ago, when Mini was still Mini, owned by the, the Poms, you could have a Mini, and then perhaps they lost their minds and went really diverse and introduced like the Traveller and the Clubman, and that was pretty much it. However, at one point, you could have a Mini hatch you could have a mini cabrio you could have a clubman a coupe a countryman a paceman a roadster and a five door now that is bloody ridiculous frankly that's just too much and sure enough a few of them have fallen by the wayside in the meantime what point gentlemen does it just become too much and you just have to say calm down everyone it's a tricky one because Presumably they're selling these, presumably they're making these cars because their marketing and research departments go, we have identified a customer we are not serving or we can serve better. Mm. Um, I mean, for me, the main offender is Mercedes-Benz. I mean, remember when Mercedes-Benz made a C-Class, an E-Class and an S-Class? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Seems like a long time Such ago. simple times. <laughs> yeah. And then they really spice it up with an A-Class and an ML. Yeah. That was five. And now they must have like 40, 45 variants. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. for me, they now have... An A-class hatch and an A-class sedan and a CLA, which, which is yeah. a slightly sportier A-class. And a GLA, like, which is just, a jacked up A-class. It doesn't look very What's different. What's the difference between a CLA and an A-class? I mean, I'm sure there is a big spiel on the differences between them, but 
again, like who's buying all these cars? Who's just... buying them and who understands the difference? And, yeah. and I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a new car buyer and I'm perhaps the wrong audience to be asking this question of, but I, I always, I find it a little bit off-putting. I just want it to be simple, really. Yes. I, 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 and it's our job to get our head around all the difference of these variants and models. So how does the, the, the poor customer approach this? Are, are they just being bombarded with too much choice? Or do they enjoy that? Because all the brands, the premium brands, would argue with me, saying to be a premium brand, you have to offer choice, lots mm. of choice. And you, and that's clearly what they're doing. But it, but it can know. be confusing. I mean, we've all been into a cafe or something, and you, you look at the menu board and it's just so many items there's so many columns of, mm. of menu items and you're kind of a little bit overwhelmed and you don't know what to choose the paralysis of choice looks, uh, yes. everything looks pretty good but you just end up just yeah just uh, paralysed by indecision yeah reeling and just backing out and not buying anything what I think I was having a bit of, th- bit of a think about this when you when you put forward the potential topic and I think what it's come down to is the beauty of shared platforms common platforms yes so now they Back in the day, when you know, in the C, say, use, let's use Mercedes Benz as an example. If they wanted to do a new car, they only had like three platforms to choose from, all mm. on a separate platform. Now, with all this modularity, you can sort of repackage a, an existing car, I'm not going to say easily, but with a lot less cost. And it allows you to amortize the development costs across all these different variants. Yeah. So, and it, you know, it helps you with model rollout. If you launch an A class, then a year later you can do the A class sedan. A year later after that, you can do the CLA. And then you, you know, people trade up, people enticed into these new cars. I can see the logic in it, but I think you're right in that it's just getting, I don't know, I just don't see yeah, where all these customers are. So it, it does, in reality, it's. It's saving. It's it's a very cheap exercise. Sorry, no, there's no such thing as a cheap exercise when it comes to developing a new model. But it's a much cheaper exercise. Yeah, you're sharing engines. You're sharing the yes. major hard points of the chassis. And just changing a bit of sheet metal to, yes. to change the overall outside look is not that expensive. Mm. So it's it's a fairly low risk. And so I, th- I think a lot of the manufacturers are tr- testing the water by introducing weird variants, like for example the pacement that was a bit of a flop. Mm. Um, is there a, is, I'm just springing this on you, but is there a variant you'd love to see that isn't out there? Oh, yeah. now that's a, a good one. A proper shooting brake. Yeah. Oh, yes. oh yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right, right, come on, Tony, roll with it. What, what do you want? <laughs> I want a, a two-door, sporty, rear-wheel drive uh, station wagon. Okay, what's the what's this based on? What, what is it based on? Yeah, like what, what car would, should it be based on? Oh, I mean, uh, Toyota did that drive. shooting yeah, brake. Yeah, I'm going to just say everything. <laughs> everything should offer this version. Well, Toyota did the GT86 shooting brake because the design concept. Oh, that was yeah, really just a, cool. Just a concept, though, yeah. which is slightly Australian. It was Australian design. That's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. Aussie connection. Uh, but I sprung this on it myself. I, don't really... I, I would not be brand loyal. I just want to see that kind of vehicle uh, get produced and get popular because for, for selfish reasons, I want to eventually buy one. I think I, I so I, I'm going to conclude this with m- one of my absurd theories, which may end up, and I hope, being true. So, what will happen is we're looking at a process of it's kind of like the Big Bang, is that we're just seeing this from the core model that started it all, a massive expansion into lots of fragments as the universe expanded. But at some point, the theory goes that the universe will then collapse back in on itself, mm. back to one small singularity. That's what's going to happen with the various lineups. And I can prove it with one example. Go on. The 2015 Ford EcoSport S. Okay. So, right. the EcoSport, as people know, is one of the most hateful little compact SUVs that has ever 
Greystar Roads. One might say miserable. Yes. One might say exactly. oh, there's there's a less, less than miserable. It's complimentary. Um, and it's based on the Fiesta, right? Mm-hmm. So Ford took a perfectly good, a very good compact hatchback and made an SUV based on it. Then, in 2015, it released the concept, which was called the Ford EcoSport S. And let me explain to you what they did to make the EcoSport S. They took the EcoSport, which is a jacked-up version uh, with slightly smaller wheels and higher-profile tyres than the Fiesta, and they lowered it, and they put higher-profile, larger wheels with lower-profile tyres on. They took the spare wheel off the boot that was a characteristic of the SUV of the EcoSport, and hang on a minute, they've just made a Fiesta again. Yeah. <laughs> so what they've done is they've come full circle by trying to introduce too many variants and to expand that choice too much, and they just came back to what was the perfectly good car in the first place. I always place. think about that with the Porsche Macan. They put a dry-sumped engine in it and a low-slung driving position in an SUV, which the point is to have a high-set driving yeah, yeah, yeah. position. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so what will happen is we'll just come back to equilibrium. Uh, we'll, we'll get over this absurd business of introducing too many, and it will be um, a self-governing process and just come back to... Repost. EV platforms will make it even easier to have a proliferation oh, of no. models because you're just on a skateboard. Then you can He's put right. whatever you want on it. He is right. Sadly. He is right. All right, I'll accept defeat on this one, but don't ex- don't think for a second this is going to stop my absurd theory. No, <laughs> gentlemen, if you have not yet caught an episode of Which Car on Channel Ten on Sunday afternoons, <gasps> why the hell not? Because it's it's fantastic. We're still going up to our episode about fifteen now, I think. Hmm. Um, I'd love to be able to tell you what's going to be on this week's episode, but. I didn't research it heavily enough before we uh, hit record. But well, funnily enough, you're going to see me uh, go watch a car die. Oh yes! Yeah. Hang yeah. on, this is you at the um, the ANCAP ANCAP. test. Yeah. Oh, don't ANCAP. give too much away. But that's a that's a cracker. Spoiler alert: the car crashes. <laughs> dun dun dun! And if you haven't caught any of the previous episodes, you were you find... in it when it crashed? Uh, no. Oh, that would have been great. Did you wonder what those funny little white great TV. and black stickers on the side of his temples are? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was just looking at the figures. <laughs> oh, he wouldn't, because he was in a very safe car. Five-star ANCAP, I'm five, sure. Five-star. It was a poll yeah. test as well, the most uh, dramatic test, I feel. That's not the kind of poll test I like getting involved uh, with. Oh, dear. PG. Uh, PG. Feel free to go and look at all of our past episodes of Which Car on 10 Play, and you can also find them published on our very own beautiful website, whichcar.com.au. Tony, you are mm. the latest to be adding a, a frankly absurd number of air miles to your various frequent flyer programs <laughs> when you headed over to a country I like to call France. That is actually what it's called, believe it or not. Um, what were you doing there and what were you driving? Uh, I was visiting the French Republic to drive a couple of Jaguar products, the updated XE and the fire-breathing, hairy-chested F-Pace SVR. Let's come to that latter one in a moment. Mm. Um, this serendipitous... What is with my words today? Serendipitously. It's easy second time around, isn't it? I should have done a warm-up. Uh, <laughs> last is. week we were talking, Scotty, about Jaguar Land Rover's decision to wind back their absurd number of variants in each range, mm-hmm. uh, rationalise the whole process, and give Cameron Kirby, the guy who was responsible <laughs> for the... Uh, what's it now called? Car... Data bank, Data bank yeah. at the back of Wheels magazine, a holiday, uh, because he doesn't have to add in 40 variants every time Jaguar <laughs> comes up with a new model. Um, the XE is the car that is starting this, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, it's gone from, like, I don't know, 11 billion uh, totally. var- individual variants to um, basically, yeah, two. <laughs> this really, is funny, because this yeah. really... 
builds on what you were just saying in the, the contraction of the universe. Because Jaguar has... <laughs> so I was right. Ah, Nostradamus over here. You have, yes. <laughs> because I was speaking to Jaguar about it and they're like, okay, yes, we give the... As a premium brand, we want to offer customers choice, but there is the... <laughs> Uh, come on, behave yourself, people. This is a serious <laughs> motor automotive, automotive podcast. No one has ever been stupid enough to call me Nostradamus. Now, you're going to see me. I'll be sat by my desk with a long beard. I was saying it with <laughs> irony. That's right. Just sitting there in a sort of misty cloud. Making As I was crazy. saying Sorry. about the Jaguar XA. <laughs> um, yeah, they said that it's too confusing. So we're going to give it, boil it down, reduce our option packs, reduce our variants, and yeah, to the car that Tony was driving, the XE, what is it, a- HSE Dynamic? Or something? The HSE uh, P- P300 HSE R Dynamic. Okay, so it's they haven't actually rained down the, the, rained in no, the, it, yeah, the number of words. It's and still word needed. vomit yeah. uh, <laughs> with the naming, but at least there's no longer, what was it, like four engines, five variants. Yeah, I think there were two diesels, uh, two petrols. A lot yeah. of permutations yeah. thereof. It's fair to say they will add to the range. They're not just going to stick with two variants. Uh, I don't know well, if they will. It, it doesn't seem like it. I asked about, oh, you know, is there space above, is there space below, and they're, and they're well... Well, are are, really, you, are you telling me that you're surprised that a PR didn't tell you about on future <laughs> models? <laughs> it was a surprisingly honest and, and somewhat, I don't know, maybe defeated answer. But overseas, overseas hmm. there are other engines. There's like a lower output petrol, but Jaguar uh, Land Rover Australia has their read on our market and they say that their customers aren't interested in the lower output thing or the, or the low spec option mm. they just weren't buying them so they're just going to get the p300 engine which is a 221 kilowatt uh, turbo four which is a very nice engine actually um mm-hmm. and ingenium uh, ingenium yeah is what they call that it's pronounced family. ingenious or is it ingenium i'm just hard g <laughs> carry on <Tony. laughs> uh yeah they'll just have that in two spec levels of se and hse which are mid and high spec in like uh, in europe and that's all we'll get. Rear-wheel drive only. Uh, all-wheel drive is available overseas. So if you live in Europe, yeah, you're still going to have uh, five bazillion XE yeah. variants to choose from. But over here, it's really just two. Is oh. yeah, Very very quickly, before we talk about the other car that you drove there, mm. um, is it any good? Because, of course, it goes up against the Mercedes C-Class BMW 3 Series, which yeah. are, uh, I just recently drove the new 3 Series, and I think it's the best it's been in years and years and years, if not ever. How does it stack up? I'm yeah, going to jump in, and I can tell without even hearing Tony's <laughs> review, I know the best thing about the new XE. Steering. Go. No, it has no stupid rotary gear shift controller anymore. It's got oh, the good. proper lever that yep. they put in Range Rovers. Okay, good. Well done, Jaguar. That stupid washing machine dial oh. that they had for the <laughs> transmission selector. Exactly uh, thankfully like. being banished in favor of a, a proper conventional, sort of, they call it a pistol style uh, shifter. It it's just looks bang, like a regular bang. automatic shifter. If you look at the one in a BMW, it's uh, pretty familiar because it's a ZF gearbox, just like what they use. Um, oh, but I love yeah, it that when Tony gets all technical. That it's <laughs> so good. Uh, uh, yeah, see me how does it stack up? Uh, great. I mean, that car never had a problem with how it drove, and thankfully they didn't really mess with anything mechanical. It, it drives pretty much identically to how the pre-update model uh, drove. But that that is a good thing, and that engine is um, is great. You know, I I do miss uh, the six-cylinder option mainly because you know I'm all about size and. Three liter sixes, <laughs> such you know, a size queen. It's, it's yeah. got the numbers. It's bloody ridiculous. Well, while you're but, lamenting yeah. yes. the uh, absence of a six cylinder version mm. in the XC range, let's just let's just skip a whole another two cylinders and go to eight and Four. another vehicle you're there to drive and yes. the F Pace SVR. Well, happily there was something that was there to uh, uh, sate my desire for displacement. <laughs> <laughs> Great F Pace SVR. 
is um, it's Jaguar's first take on a performance SUV. And as we know, BMW, Mercedes, and Audi have been playing in that space for quite a while with their products. And this is Jaguar's go. Uh, that put the uh, five-liter supercharged V8 from the or was a Range Rover Sport mm-hmm. SVR, oh, uh, S- S- yeah, F-Type, yeah, yes, SVR, yeah, SVR, and the F- F-Type uh, V8 S or whatever yep. it is, yeah, yeah, into a family SUV, and the resulting thing is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So obviously it's fast, but what it's about fast, everything else? It's loud. It it handles really well. Yeah. It, it, it's keenly priced as well. It's keenly priced, 140k, which is obviously a lot of That's, money for a car. But yeah, Jaguar is very up, bullish on this thing. I think. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely, and and I, I can understand their confidence because when you line it up against its peers, which are really just the Alfa Romeo Stelvio um, Q and the AMG um, GLC 63S, then it's actually not that far off either of them in terms of the raw performance numbers, mm-hmm. and it's more powerful, got more torque. It's a uh, supercharged V8, so it's, in my opinion, it sounds better than them. And, uh, yeah, it goes like a cut cat. It's hey, cat! And I suppose uh-huh. oh, we couldn't get through a whole segment about Jaguar without mentioning uh, some kind of cat. Right? That was yes. actually not deliberate, and I kind of sure. hate myself oh, for doing it. Rubbish. Uh, everything's deliberate with Tony. That's right. Well, um, again, another yeah. one of those cars that may be a bit of a dying breed because, you know, superchargers are having to make way for turbocharging and hybridization. And Yeah, well, the sad, you... sad thing is I was chatting to some of the SVO engineers that they had at the launch and saying, oh, you know, what else can you do with this engine? And, and they sort of, I get the feeling that they're trying to do as much as they can with that engine while they still are able yeah. to sell it Yeah, because the way emissions regulations are going, uh, yeah, supercharged V8s are... On their way out. I do so love the fact, fact, before we wrap up, I know you want to wrap up, but before I do love the fact that you walk into a Jaguar showroom now and there are two SUVs sitting next to each other. One's a 405 kilowatt supercharged V8 and the other one's electric. Ooh, <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Go Jaguar. Fire and ice. You know something else that's a dying breed and on its way out? This podcast? No, not oh. ultimately. I just I just mean us out of this studio for another week. This particular episode. We have run out of time again, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me, You're Scott welcome. Newman and Tony O'Kane. We will, of course, be doing something similar, but not exactly the same, in about another seven days. Um, and if you want to stay tuned in with everything that's going on, whether it be the TV show or our various websites or social medias, then the best place to go is something called the internet and whichcar.com.au. Until another seven days passes and we join you again with another variety of wonderful motoring minds, then do stay safe on the roads. My my name's been Daniel Gardner, and we'll see you all again in about, yeah, was it seven days? Yeah, seven days. Yeah. Cheerio. See you then. Bye. <laughs>